guys always leave me with the hardest acts to follow. I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, what a wonderful, I just want to give these girls a little bit of praise. It's, it's hard to come up here, um, especially in, her, in their youth, um, to stand in front of people um, and you can't help but feel like people are judging you the whole time you're up here. And if you miss a key to, to recover from it and keep singing and honor and glorying the king, um, because he does not care if you miss a key. He does not care if you mispronounce a word because he sees you singing from your heart. And I believe that's what these girls did today and what they will continue to do. They have very unique hearts. If you don't know these girls, get to know them and they will influence you, I guarantee you. These girls are very special and very unique and have a desire to serve the Lord. And I pray that we could all be a little bit more like that. Um, it's, it's just amazing what they do. And I appreciate them. And I know God appreciates them. So if you would, please bow your head with me this morning as we start with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful. God, for each and every member of the body as it comprises a unit that can't be beat, Lord, a, a unit that can't be cast down, that the world will not overcome. God, and we are a part of that body. We are adopted into the family. God, and if you are not, if there is somebody here that is not adopted this morning, Lord, I pray that you would work on their heart today, God, that you would burden them so hard, but they have only one decision to make. God, we come to you this morning to unify in spirit and in person. God, I pray that you be with the ones that aren't here today. God, that they could feel your love, that they could feel our love, Lord, as we lift them up to you. God, and I pray for each and every person here, as I believe that nobody is here by mistake, Lord. I believe that you have everybody here today for a purpose and for a reason, and God, that that purpose is kingdom purpose, and that it's your will, Lord, and I appreciate everything that you will us to do. God, I pray that your spirit would run loose in here this morning. God, fill in every nook and cranny of this place and every inch of our heart and soul. God, that there would be no room for Satan in this house this morning or any other morning or inside of any person here, God. We bind him in Jesus Christ's name that he would have no room to roam here. God, be with us the remainder of this morning as we dig into your word. God, as we seek to live more like you, God, write it on our hearts. Help us memorize it. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I've had pressed on my heart a lot lately um, how the world is effectually changing things. We, as the United States of America, stand on the brink of a new frontier as the way things are rapidly changing in our country. Um, I've got a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he wrote, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God and which will make him happy. If you look at it, we always fight wars over what? Money, territory, strictly power. We fight and die for those things. But there's one man that fought and died for us. And his love is what I want to talk about today. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what I want to talk about today. 
Because as our country changes and changing, it will. I just want you to know that, that there's no way that we recover fully from this to a state like we were before. We've got an election coming up in November. Uh, there's all kinds of things happening in our government and side politics and the way people are acting. Uh, the law is not punishing people for acting accordingly anymore. And so we have to know that we're never going to be like we were six months ago. Scary it might seem, but that doesn't change who we are or what our purpose is. Because I can assure you the COVID-19 and the downfall of the United States of America has not affected heaven in the least. God did not change because of it. He was not shocked by it. It didn't catch him off guard or by surprise. God is in control and God still sits on the throne today. So I want to tell you today, because God hasn't changed, because heaven hasn't changed, because his word is not changing, then our purpose should not change. How we act should not change. Now, we may have to approach people in a little different manner. You may have a mask on when you talk to people. You may have to stay a safe distance away. But that doesn't stop us from taking the word of God to the rest of the world. That does not change. It may change how we go about it. There for a while we had to watch church online, right? Here we are back at it. But he says that eventually we'll have to figure something out because his church will be persecuted. He says they're going to come after you. So we're going to have to get a little bit more diligent in teaching and taking care of our own households because guess what? If the government decides tomorrow that we can no longer gather under Christ's name for the kingdom of God, Jerry, I'm going to expect you to take care of your household. You're going to be the preacher on 181. You're going to be the preacher at Bill Warren Bridge. Bob, you're going to be the preacher of Five North. That's what I know because it doesn't stop. The kingdom of heaven doesn't stop. God doesn't stop. We will not, as Christians, stop. Because he died for us, he said we should also be willing to die for others. So I've got a question for you this morning. It hit me in the middle of the week this week, and I've been pondering it all week long. Are we living just trying not to die? Or are we living to showing it to show a dying world how to live? I'll say it again because I kind of stumbled through it. Are we living life just trying not to die? Or are we living life to show a dying world how to live? Right? Because we know the secret. We know the mystery the Bible calls it life everlasting. That he's overcome this world so it doesn't matter the demise of this world because we're victors in Christ Jesus. Because we don't matter how much the United States of America or the rest of the world for that matter perishes. We still carry a light inside of us because God has called us. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you'll start with me in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, starting in verse 16. This is a very important scripture right here. 
in verse 16, it says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. So I want you to know today, this morning, as you sat here, that you are chosen. Not chosen by this world, but chosen by a God that loves you and sent his own son to die for you. That's who chose you. So if you feel like you're by yourself this morning, if you feel like you're all alone, if you feel like nobody cares, then I'm going to tell you this morning that God cares because he chose you and he ordained you. He chose you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. You know, people a lot of times leave out or forget or look past that it said that your fruit should remain. What am I talking about? When this world ends, it says everything will be tried by fire. Everything will go away except for God's children. God's children will remain. So when he's talking about fruit, he's talking about souls that are saved. When you produce fruit, when you produce fruit of the kingdom of God, he's talking about souls saved. They shall remain. So when you talk about somebody about the weather, that goes away. When you share a house with somebody, that goes away. If you give somebody a car, that goes away. But if you give somebody the truth and they accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, it never goes away. Amen. Ever. And so that's what we're talking about this morning because God chose us and commanded us. And in verse 17, it says, These things I command you, that you love one another. So in spite of myself, these things that I read on Facebook and watching the news and what's happening across the world, as mad as it makes me, i got to lay that stuff aside, man. As much as I disagree with it and the things that are being said and happening, it says, these things I command you. He didn't say if you want to. He didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say if you agree with them. He said, I command you to love one another. Command, command you to love one another. Verse 18, it says, If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hate you. There again, I chose you. I chose you out of this world. I created this world, but I chose you out of it because I am everlasting. I am eternal. And when you choose me, you get to be eternal too. But know that you're not the first person to be condemned for talking to somebody else about the gospel. If you stand here this morning and be like, Preacher, man, I, I tried this week. That guy cussed at me and called me things that I'd never even heard before. I just want you to know that you're not the first one. I had a drunk guy at a liquor store that he gave a ride home to one time, and I started sharing the gospel with him. He had me pull out on the side of the road. I don't even know where we was at, and he said, let me out. I was like, all right. But that doesn't stop us. The riding doesn't stop us. Closing down church buildings 
doesn't stop us because this building is not the church that God talks about. You are the church that God talks about. We are the church that God talks about. We are the body. All these parts fitly joint together for the winning of God's kingdom. Verse 20, it says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So I want you to know this. He says, we're not greater than he is. We all know that, right? He created us. We, the creation can never be greater than creator. But he said, they persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. Know that is coming. That way you're not blindsided by it. Know that it's coming at some juncture, and I'll be honest with you, we live in a pretty good neck of the woods right here. When I went off to college my freshman year, I took a World Civ three class, and the first question that he asked was, how many people believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I was one of about, I don't know, 10 people out of about 40 in that class. And I was like, what? It would have been just the opposite here and probably a little bit more. So I want you to know that even though it's slower getting to us here, it will come to us here. We have to know it's coming. So don't be blindsided by it because when you get knocked, you know, if somebody comes up, sucker punches you from the back, you get knocked out of course a little bit. But we can't be, nor will we be, knocked off course. And he says, if they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. Right? So when we explain to people God's word... The ones that accepted him will accept us also. So we have to take it to the streets. Verse 21 says, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. I know that's a little confusing right there, but I want to explain it to you. Have you ever pointed out something that somebody was doing wrong? You ever, you ever just said, boy, that's just, that's not right. It's a hard, hard spot to be in because a lot of times... When you tell somebody that they are not right, they don't act with, oh, my gosh, thank you. Yeah, that's a relief that you told me that. Right? Even from our loved ones, right? It's even harder with our loved ones sometimes. It's way easier for me to say, boy, you're doing that wrong. If I've never met them and I'm probably never going to meet them again, that's why it's way easier to preach in churches all over the place because it doesn't matter what you say. You just move on to the next one. They may never have you back and doesn't really matter but I'm telling you that Jesus brought to point the things that people were doing wrong but he didn't do it in a way as to condemn them he did it as a way to fix what they were doing and hopefully gain heaven 
And when we approach one another, that's the way we need to approach it. And if you can't approach it that way, then I suggest you don't approach it until you can. Because he says, I command you to love one another. And not just to love the people that love you. He said, that's easy. Anybody can do that. But to love those that hate you, that's righteous. That's kingdom love. That's godly love. That's love everlasting. That's what we're talking about today. Not the love of this world. Love in America has become such a throat around term that I love pizza. Well, that's not the same love that I should have for a God that created me and sent his son to die for me, right? So love's thrown around a lot. In verse 25, it said, But this come to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. He's telling us, I'm telling you these things, so that you're not caught off guard, and when people act a certain way, you ever had somebody act a certain way just because of the way you're acting? They get offended because you're acting or saying or doing something? I've had people do that. They get offended just because of the way I'm acting. I didn't say nothing. I didn't really even do anything. Or maybe it's what I'm not doing that makes them ashamed of what they're doing. But I want you to know that they don't hate you. They really hate themselves, usually. Right? Because they've got a feeling from the Spirit of God that they may not be doing the right thing. But he tells us these things, so we should not be offended. Verse 2, it says, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. He tells us these things so that we'll know what's coming. He tells us these things so we know how to react to it. He tells us that the world is going to hate us because the world hated him. He goes before us. He comes back and gets us. He walks us through it. It's a win-win for us, guys. That's what I want to know. I want you to know today that the outside world should not have an effectual difference on our purpose or calling. It may have a difference on the way we choose to get there by phone, by internet, or however, but it's not going to stop us from spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ coming, that he died on the cross for our sins. It will not change. It does not change the fact that it says God calls us to tell people. He calls us to speak to the lost. Because if you came here today because you're perfect, you came here for a wrong reason than what I did, because I came here today because I'm seeking God, because on the inside I'm a broken mess. That's what church is here for. And we, we take all of our brokenness and we come together like this. We come together spirit-filled and we come together to heal one another. We come because we're broken, not because we're perfect. Jesus said, I didn't come for the ones who aren't sick. I came for the ones that are sick because they're the ones that need healing. 
There's a lot of sick people out there. There's a lot of sick people that aren't gathering together in the name of Christ. There's a lot of sick people gathering together for other purposes. But just think if those thousands of people that form together with all that energy to riot and oppose some injustice, if they stuck that energy, if the church of God put that energy in and we went to the streets talking about Jesus Christ, amen, we would probably get bashed a lot harder than that. I can guarantee you that news stories wouldn't be so nice to us as they were, oh, look at all these people standing up for what they believe. All of a sudden, that wouldn't be such a good thing if we did it. But he says that they're going to hate you because they hated me first. Because what we bring to the table is truth and light. And what lies and the devil does not like is light. Right? We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night in our study. We talked about how darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness really has no definition on its own. It is just the absence of light. And so when light is shined into the darkness, all the bad things that are sitting there in cover and in hiding are all of a sudden exposed to everything. Everybody can see them, right? So they're going to hate you just for the way that you live. Because your life stands for something. Your life has a purpose. Your life has a calling. Why? Because God chose you. And he commanded you. God chose you and God commanded you. I'm going to flip to uh, 2 Thessalonians. And I want you to know in Thessalonia, at this time, they were a heavily persecuted church that was having some real problems. And they were set up as a young church under these conditions where they were being heavily persecuted and really strut down on. But in 2 Thessalonians, the second letter Paul writes, he's given them thanks. Starting in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Grace unto you and peace from our God, Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul's saying right here that even though you've been under persecution, even though you're having to endure some hard things right now, your faith is growing and your love for one another is growing. So how does the church overcome the world? Through love, right? Through God's love. That's how God's people overcome this world because God is love and He sent His Son to die on the cross that death wouldn't have a part of us. That we're called higher than that. Yeah, this body may die. You know, this flesh is weak. We've heard it all, but it's true. Because God gave us a purpose. He also gave His Son as a way to save us. That he showed his love. And that's what we have to do under persecution, under tribulation, under trials of this life. As a world that's going to hate you, you still have to show everyone love. He says, I command it. You know, a good conversation was brought up in Bible study. We were talking about forgiveness. And, and it gets kind of smoke-filled room when you start talking about forgiveness and who deserves it and this and that and the other. And one guy stood up and he said, it's not a question of whether or not you should forgive. The Bible says, 
Forgive that you may be forgiven. There's no question whether you should forgive or not. That's like love. There is no question if you should love somebody that did bad to you. If you should love somebody that hates you. There's no question because he says, I command you. That's how we reach this world because a lot of people don't know love. They don't even know worldly love, much less godly love. And there's so much difference. Godly love will bring you from the world to eternity, right? Because he paved that way for us. He sent his son to down a cross that so we've got a bridge from here to eternity. Not everybody in the world has heard that. And definitely not everybody in the world is living like that. Half of the church, 50% of the church is not even living like they have a God that loves them and are excited about life. And that's what I'm talking about today, especially during this pandemic in times of hardship and tribulation and when we're testing of our faith. Are we just trying not to die? Are we just trying not to die? Are we actually showing people around us how to live? How to live in the light that God gave us. How to be excited about today even though you had a flat tire on the way to work. I had a buddy last week or two weeks ago. He had three flat tires in a week. Dang. You know, bad things are going to happen. He says it's coming your way. I'm telling you this so you don't get offended. I'm telling you this so you're not surprised. I'm telling you this so that you can practice in the peaceful times of how to love. So that when hard times come your way... You know how to love even in hard, difficult situations. Because people are going to cross you. People are going to lie to you. People are going to take advantage of you. People are going to stab you in the back. That's just people. But the love of God's kingdom is showing them God even when they're putting the knife in your back. It's showing them love even when they're lying to your face. It's showing them Love even when they're treating you bad. That's how we stand out. By God's love because he chose us. If you flip a page to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1 it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. I'm not going to lie to you, this is a hard passage for me to read because I pray continuously that God's word would have free course in my life. That I would speak it whenever he calls me to speak it and that I would zip it whenever he calls me to zip it. But I myself continually get in the way of what God is doing by telling him no, by telling him I want to do it on my timeline, by telling him not right now, by telling him I'm going to do it later, by telling him all kinds of these things, right? The best thing, and one of my mentors told me years ago as I started into this, he said, the best Christian excuse that you'll ever hear is let me pray about it. You ask him to do something, they said, let me pray about it. He said, 90%, you're going to get a no answer if you hear, let me pray about it. Now, he said, with that, there are some people that actually want to pray about it so you can't discard it because some people are not lying to you when they say, let me pray about it. 
But does the Word of God have free course in your life? Does the Spirit of God flow freely? See, I got to thinking, I got a chance to take off work and go floating with my family um, on Friday. And as we were floating down the river and I was watching my kids and my wife, um, I got to thinking about the way the river flows. And I love it when God speaks to me when I'm out in his things that he created. Now, back when me and Dylan were floating this river in high school, it looks way different after all the floods and everything like that. I mean, it's changed a ton. I didn't know where the good swimming holes were anymore and things of that nature just because, I mean, they're washed in now. The good fishing spots have changed. I mean, it's just different. And I haven't been on the river enough lately to see that. But the one thing that hadn't changed was the way that the river was flowing. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter what happens. The water is always going to flow looking for the sea. Now when it flows into North Fork Lake and is dammed up there, eventually that water will be released and it will free flow on down. It doesn't matter who tries to dam it up or who tries to stop it. The river of life that that flows from God's throne is everlasting. It never stops flowing. It always flows in the same direction. So I'm asking, does your life always flow in the same direction that you're always pointing towards God's kingdom? You know, I looked at it one time as I hung up a lure and I was paddling backwards and circling back around trying to get my lure undone because I didn't, you know, want to lose an eight-cent lizard. <laughs> it's way harder to paddle upstream or to get to a spot that you feel like you need to go versus where God is calling you to go. It's way harder to fight it than it is to just go with it because if you go with the things that God has for you, then he's going to give you the tools to get there. Because guess what? He's went before you. He knows what you need. And he's given you the grace, the mercy, the strength, and everything that you need to succeed in it. You can fight it all you want to, but ask Jonah how it ends up when you start trying to fight it. Right? Ask David as he stood on the wall that night and he wasn't in battle with his army like he should have been. What happens when you try to fight the will of God? But I just wanted to ask you this morning, does the word of God free, have free course in your life? Does your life represent something much greater than what you are? Does it always go in the same direction? Verse 2. It says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. That's a promise. I want you to know this. We have to know what God's promises are. He says that I'm going to protect you. It says we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all men have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Now, that being said, does that mean that evil things aren't going to happen to us? It absolutely does not. It can and it will. But there again, where are your eyes set? Are your eyes set on this world or are your eyes set on the kingdom of God? So when we think about evil things, know that we're here to endure them, that one other person we talk to might gain life. If you live your whole life and drop one seed that blooms, They're shouting and glorifying in the kingdom of heaven, right? Amen. I get excited when I'm in the presence 
We had an opportunity to speak to a lady one day, uh, me and Julie and Jerry, and you could just feel the Spirit of God as she accepted Christ as her Savior. Oh, man, what a day. I still get chills over that, just thinking about it. The, The presence of God is so exciting. I can't imagine getting to spend eternity with Him, but you're trying to get other people there too, because... I don't want myself to be there alone. Annika, Steve, I want you guys with me. Jerry, Julie, your kids, I want you guys to be there with me. I want us to experience God's love and God's forgiveness because he says that he'll protect us. He says that he's faithful and he says that he'll establish us and he'll keep us from evil. In verse 4 it says, We have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Does ever, who in here has wished that Christ would just come back? Gosh, just, let's do this thing, you know? I'm ready. But just because I'm ready doesn't mean my neighbor's ready. Just because I'm ready doesn't mean this town is ready. Just because I'm ready doesn't mean that this church is ready. So I have to remember that it's not all about me. And when I'm talking about the gospel, that's what I'm talking about, is the people being the church and it not being all about me. That's where I call men to a higher standard, just like God calls men to a higher standard. Because if we can't assemble anymore, if we can no longer assemble in this building, Brian, I'm counting on you to be the man on that ridge out there, to teach people about the love of God. Bobby, Bob, Dylan, Daniel... We've got a job to do, even though we can't assemble. Just like Jesus says, I'm not going to be here all the time. I'm teaching you guys because I have to go. I'm telling you guys that I might not be here all the time. Who's going to step in my place when I leave? I hope somebody has the desire and the want to, to save lives, to point people towards Christ. But I'm not talking about a preacher standing behind a pulpit. I'm talking about the way we live on the daily That's what I'm talking about. Because we gather here, right now we gather here once a week, twice a week for an hour, two hours. That's a whole lot of hours that we ain't studying the word all together, right? So we have to know and we have to do it on our own. Because I stand up here and preach God's word and I read scripture, you need to know that I'm not lying to you. Because it says in here, right in verse 3, Not all men have faith. Not all men will stand behind a pulpit and try to get you to heaven. You have to know who's trying to help you and who's feeding you full of smoke. As bad as that sounds. Because right now you can hear anything that you want to. There are pastors and preachers standing behind pulpits saying that you can get there any way you want to get there. I'm here to tell you that they're lying to you. You have to know You have to read God's word and know how you get to heaven. And that way it says you'll have the answer in season and out of season when somebody asks you, why do you have hope? Because you can say, I've got Christ Jesus in my life. He is my hope. Verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and nor after the tradition which he received of us. 
For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Your life is an example to somebody. I want you to know that. Your life is an example to somebody. And it makes an effectual difference and you have influence in the world in which you live. Everybody does. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. The first time Jessica came back to church, she met me at the door and she was just exploding with excitement because she was ready to sing. Hadn't got to sing since we'd let church out. That made my week, man. Seeing people excited for the Lord makes my day, it makes my week, it makes my month. It gives me charge to keep pursuing the things that God has given me to do so I know that you have the same influence. You have the same influence. My kids, man, they keep me on track. Anytime something happens, my kids are like, let's pray about it. Let's pray about it. All the time, my kids are like, let's pray about it. You know, as an adult, you're like, I'll get it figured out, you know. My kids are like, let's pray about it. I don't have to figure it out that way. Let's pray about it. And that's the kind of influence that we need on a world. So they set an example by their life. Verse 10, it says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But you, brethren, be not, worry in well, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." I want you to note that last verse. Just because he's walking disorderly and he is corrupting things and he is defiling things, he says, do not count him as an enemy. But he doesn't need to have influence in your life. Keep him at arm's length. Don't cast him out into outer darkness. That's not our job. That's God's job. But it says if somebody's having a bad direct influence on your life, your family, your church, you keep them at arm's distance. You don't let them have that bad influence. You don't hate them, which is the problem that we run into today. Is it because we don't agree, because we don't think the same, we're never going to get along. I hate you and you hate me and I'm fine with that. It's not okay. It is not okay. It says, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Out here, you're not going to have an influence on my life because your influence is not good. But I don't hate you. You've got some things messed up. I hope you come around. I'll talk to you if you want to talk. If you're genuine, we'll spend time together and I will counsel you because I want to point you towards the kingdom of God. But I don't hate you but I can't spend time with you right now. 
There's a difference, right? How much different is that than what we see in the world? You younger guys going to school and whatnot, it's like, don't want you in my life. I hate you. Get out. You took my boyfriend. Just because they have a bad influence on you doesn't mean you hate them. It says, in fact, the opposite. Do not hate them. You don't have to hug them every time you see them. You know, you don't have to get close and personal. In fact, it says to keep them at a distance, but do not hate them. I just wanted to make that clear this morning as we read God's word and we learn from it that this is his word and it's true. I didn't say it. It's right there. If somebody needs it, write it down. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 15. It's not me saying it, but I'm going to tell you, God is love. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read through this just so we leave on a love note today so that you know the example that God set for us and his definition of love. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13 and then we'll close. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I have not charity. Charity means love. I am not become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profit me nothing. Charity suffers long, and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vanteth not itself, and is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and it thinks no evil. Rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Charity never fails, but whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Today, as we go out through this week, if you would please stand with me. Know that you will have an influence on the people around you this week, whether you want to or not. Whether you wake up in the morning and you're like, yes, I get to go influence somebody for the body of Christ today. That's what I get to do. Or you wake up and you're like, I don't want to do this today. You will have an influence and you have a choice to make at that juncture. Will you pick up your cross and march on, soldier? Or will you influence somebody else in a different direction for that day? But above all else, it says love. Love those that curse you. Love those that hate you. Love those that lie to you. Man, I'm working on it just like everybody else. That's why I'm here. I'm broken. I don't do that all the time. I don't do it as much as I should. But I try. I try my best. But our example is Jesus. 
and his righteousness. So take this week and love on some people. That's what sets you apart. God has chosen you for a purpose, and God has willed you to his kingdom. He has adopted you into the family, and you are grafted in, and we are the church wherever we go. This week, we've got an opportunity set before us. We've got an opportunity to share Christ to somebody this week. Do it. Seize the opportunity. Don't just say, yep, got the opportunity tomorrow. I'll just wait till tomorrow. You know, tomorrow never gets here if you keep calling it tomorrow. So take the time. Love on somebody today. Make that phone call to forgive somebody that's not been forgiven in your life. Because guess what? It's only holding you back. It's not holding them back. It's holding you back. So as we open up the altars today, think about the people in your life that might need love. 